Well, as we come to um, our text this morning, uh, we get now um, Jesus calling a man to follow him. This, of course, is Levi, who will be called Matthew, uh, who is uh, one of the disciples. Um, and uh, we find the description taking place here immediately after the healing of um, the paralytic. Now, as as we looked at um, our text uh, in the previous weeks, we see that what is being what is happening in the text here is that Jesus is seeking to demonstrate his power and his authority over various items, various things. He's seeking to show a bit of who he is. Um, he does this by uh, overcoming supernatural uh, forces and natural forces. Of course, he faces off with uh, Satan in the wilderness. Of course, he uh, confront is confronted by a man with um, an unclean spirit. He uh, deals with a fever. He deals with um, a man who is uh, a leper. He deals with a man who is paralyzed. Um, and you have these kind of different sections that are, are melded together to kind of give you a topic where Jesus is demonstrating his power, his authority over these forces, uh, so as to um, give insight that he has power over the supernatural, over the natural. Uh, but now we come to uh, the call to discipleship for this individual, uh, but we take up uh, kind of a subtopic that we'll, we'll circle back on a bit next week um, as well in how, um, in what usually the Pharisees are using to distract as the topic of uh, eating and food together. Uh, they're using it as kind of a, uh, a way to uh, bring some sort of, of uh, a trap to Jesus. Uh, but Jesus stays focused on his presence with people. And you see that that becomes a theme over the over the course of the gospel thus far. He is always present with people. He's always wanting to make himself available. He's always coming to those who have need. He goes down to the Jordan River to be baptized with the people. Of course, he goes to the synagogue. He's present with people. He's, uh, he's going in to visit Peter's mother-in-law. He's going in to, uh, to touch this man who was uh, the, the leper, the paralytic. Everywhere he goes, he's always present with people. He's wanting to make sure that he is available to them. And, and, and as he'll summarize in our text this morning, he says that he has come to, uh, to be a physician to the sick. And, and he has to do that by being present with people. And so these are kind of some of the themes that, that undergird our passage this morning and give us a little bit of an understanding in how we should view this. Because, of course, uh, in our text this morning, Jesus continues his outreach uh, to those who are on the fringe of society, social outcasts. Um, he, as we saw in the previous couple weeks there, he, this has been a theme for him. He's reached out to the leper who was a social outcast, a paralytic who would have been uh, on the outskirts of society. Um, as we remarked before that the idea of being paralyzed often, often came with uh, this um, connotation of sin. And so uh, this person would have also kind of been an outsider in society. But Jesus is constantly wanting to be present with people, and, and he's wanting to uh, bring his 
uh, healing touch to their lives. And he's wanting to impact them in such a way that they begin to see who he is. And our story begins this morning in verse 27 with a call to a man called Levi. So let's read together and we'll break it down and see what the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. We read this together in verse 27. After this, right? So we have this phrase after this. Is it immediately after this uh, situation with the paralytic? It's not exactly clear. It could just be uh, after after this in the sense that like a couple days have gone by and now I, I have no idea how much time has passed. But after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So here is a very simple exchange that on the face of it for you and I seems like, hey, like this seems like um, as simple as uh, this guy sitting there and he him asking Jesus for directions. And Jesus was like, oh, hey, I'll show you how to get there. Like, just follow me. I'm going to walk over here. You just come with me. It seems as simple as that. And in one sense, it is. But in another sense, um, there are uh, things that are happening in this opening phrase, this opening verse, that allow us to understand the story more deeply. Uh, Because as we see here, that Levi uh, is this man. He's sitting at a tax booth. He's a Jewish tax collector. He is one of the people who would be sitting at uh, a particular spot, a particular booth, um, a toll booth, if you will, that collected taxes as people traveled from city to city. Uh, and so uh, at this time within the Roman government, there were uh, various nested tax officials. There was usually a chief tax collector. This would be uh, somebody who uh, you, you encounter a bit later in the Gospels, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, but you also find um, that there are other tax collectors that work under the chief tax collector, and this would have been uh, one of the Matthew uh, or Levi, as he's called here, would have been somebody who would have been kind of stationed at a particular area, taxing people who were traveling through the area, taxing trade and commerce. Um, and he would have uh, had the freedom to uh, make these taxes up here in order to uh give the Roman government their cut, but also uh, to take advantage of the people and to provide his own cut. Uh, And so in order to kind of understand what's really happening here, the weight of this narrative, we have to understand uh, exactly who, what this role is and exactly uh, what he was doing. So as we said, um, a tax collector at this time uh, was, was usually taxing commerce, travel, but they also had land taxes. Um, there were also taxes on uh, on the specifically here in this area would have been taxed on um, on the ethnic Jews in this area. So it's not just Roman citizens. It's not people who are coming into the empire, but rather this is also uh, his own people. And so these tax um, systems were set up in such a way to where it kind of becomes like um, an, an auction of, of sorts, where um, these systems were set up in a way where there would be a bidding system and uh, the, the tax system was 
was put together where the whoever could collect the most taxes was usually appointed to these positions. And it, it was really designed to take advantage of the people they were collecting taxes from. And so for this reason um, and other reasons, uh, tax collectors were definitely uh probably the, the most hated members of society. They were absolutely, uh, you know, um, social outcasts. And uh, if you look at ancient Jewish texts um, that are extra biblical, you find that tax collectors are, uh, are mentioned in the same way and, and often lumped together or collected um, in the same class and category as thieves, as murderers, um, a, uh, a Jew such as Levi who collected taxes was uh, disqualified from serving as a witness in court. Um, he wasn't able to provide uh, a witness as is called out in the law. Um, usually that person was also ex uh, uh, sent out from the synagogue and was, was not allowed to belong. They were often um, and, and most frequently uh, regarded as a disgrace to their family. Uh, but these people were so hated uh, by members of uh, the ethnic Jews that they were given permission by the religious leaders to lie to tax collectors. Like you could just straight up lie without being punished to them. Like this is how much they hated them. But one of the reasons for this is because uh, one, they were, the system was kind of corrupt and was, was breeding abuse of, uh, of the people, but also uh, every single time that they saw a tax collector or had to deal with a tax collector, it was a reminder of their uh, Roman occupation, that they were a country, a people that was uh, occupied by a foreign force that they had someone ruling over them uh, that they were unable to be free from. They were oppressed by this group of people. And so they were uh, absolutely hated members of society. And so one day as Levi is there doing his job, he's just hanging out at his tax booth. He is uh, paid a visit by Jesus. He's at work, and Jesus passes by and invites him to become his follower. Now, just think about this for a second. To us, that seems like, okay, yeah, like, fine, he's at work, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and, um, and this is what happens. But consider this. Most hated member of society, absolute worst person that you could be in this uh, culture, you're never going to go and see that person. They're going to go and see you. They're going to track you down. You're never going to go out of your way to go and visit this person. But it seems that Jesus had Levi in mind. He said, you know who needs help? Levi, the tax collector, who's at the tax booth. Jesus goes out of his way to go and see him. Nobody would ever go and see a tax collector. Oh, come here. Come to the tax collector where you can invite uh, abuse, where they can take advantage of you. But Jesus goes directly to him. Remember, he wants to be present with the people. He wants to take care of the people. And he sees that Levi has this great need that he wants. Uh, he has a longing in his heart that he does not know about. 
And so Jesus goes out of his way and all he does is show up and is present with Levi. And he tells him, uh, he, he makes this request of him, follow me. That's it. This is the simplicity of Jesus. He says to Levi, hey, follow me. That's it. There's no grand persuasion. There's no uh, way that Jesus is like, hey, here's all the things I'm going to do for you. Some of that was inbuilt because <clears throat> one, follow me would have meant to uh, become my disciple. This was his opportunity to leave behind that, that sin, the shame, uh, the, the connotations of being a tax collector. This was his opportunity to move into a respected area, to, to, to uh, become a follower of a religious dignitary, to be somebody who, could, who would be serving alongside this, to have someone see such uh, potential, such opportunity. This was an opportunity. And so uh, he hears this call, follow me. And uh, he, he, um, he responds. Now, I want you to see here that as Jesus brings this call to Levi, this call is to him exactly where he's at, at this specific moment in his life. The call of Jesus to follow him is all-encompassing. It's not a call that discriminates between race, culture, social status. He, the, Jesus doesn't care where this guy's at in his life. He just wants him to follow him. He doesn't, he doesn't require Levi to have any prior preparation. He doesn't require him to change himself. He doesn't require uh, Levi to, to ready himself or to make any grand declarations. He just says, wherever you're at right now, now's the time to follow me. Now is the time to walk with me. And, and I think that that is a, a word for each of us, that as we get up each day, no matter what we're dealing with, uh, no matter what we're working on, that call comes to us first as non-believers who become Christians, as we heed the call of God, follow me, and we begin to walk with him. We're not preparing ourselves. We're not changing ourselves. We let Jesus do that work. But each day after we come to faith, we have to encounter that same call each day to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, to follow him. And in that same way, we heed that call, follow me. It's not our business to say, well, Jesus, I'm not ready. I haven't, I haven't prepared myself. I haven't done the things that I wanted to do today. I've got these other things I'm hoping to accomplish. No, his call comes to us each day to follow him, to walk with him, to make the decision to go with him wherever he is going. We're not telling him our plans. We are following him. And his call comes to us each day, and we've got to be ready to respond. And this is exactly what Levi does. He responds. We're told here uh, that he said to him, follow me, and there would be ramifications for this decision that Levi would make. As he goes to follow Jesus, as he gets up, there are absolutely going to be ramifications. Look at verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So as Levi leaves, he's leaving this job forever. He couldn't go back to this. 
He's not going to have the opportunity to, to revisit this and go back to this. This is a one-way choice. Now, imagine now Jesus rolls up and he makes this ask. He says, hey, I want you to follow me. Guess who Jesus has in tow with him? He's got his fishermen buddies. He's got his, he's got his, his first disciples. And guess who probably uh, taxed these disciples pretty intensely? Levi. So it's probably like the other disciples were probably not super thrilled when they picked up this guy, Levi, who's been like taking advantage of him this whole time. Like, hey, like all the fish over the years, all the things that we've ever caught, you're just like totally stealing from us. And now we're on the same level. Now we're following Jesus together. It probably would not have been the most exciting feeling if you were one of these other disciples. You kind of had the feeling that like these guys don't belong. Like, why are we bringing on this tax collector? This guy, don't you know who this guy is, Jesus? But the thing is, Jesus knows exactly who he's asking to follow him. He's not worried about our preparation because he is going to be the purifying work in our lives. He is going to be the purifying work that makes us clean. It's not that we are going to prepare. It's that we can't prepare. He's going to be the one that's going to make us clean. And so here we find that Levi, he accepts Jesus's invitation. He left all, he rose up, and he followed him. Now, as you look at this uh, story, uh, this narrative across other, the other Gospels, you find here that, that Luke is the only one um, of the Gospel writers that remarks that Luke left, or that um, Levi left everything behind. Because what Luke's trying to communicate to us, what he's trying to highlight for us, is that uh, to follow Jesus is to make a commitment to him, to bear the cost of discipleship, to leave everything behind, to go wholeheartedly after him. And so when Levi leaves the tax booth, he is making a decision that the call of Jesus on his life has taken priority over every single thing, even his main uh, way to make money. The, the amount of uh, things that flow out of that decision for him are absolutely like amazing. It's an impactful decision that he makes and one that will uh, lead to uh, his flourishing. When he stops trusting in his own way, when he stops trusting in his own way, providing for himself by taking advantage of others, by uh, having this opportunity to have a good standing with Rome, but instead puts that off and says, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, the implications, the consequences of that were tremendous. He ends up having a life that is filled with flourishing that Jesus brings. And he knows that this implication is real, and he knows that Jesus is different than other people. He knows that Jesus is different than the other religious leaders. He knows that Jesus is different because he is willing to understand that Jesus would associate with him. And as much, uh, he takes advantage of this opportunity and then says, you know, Jesus, I've got to introduce you to all my friends. Everybody's got to know about who you are. 
he wanted other people to know who he was. And so he throws a great party. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So he throws this huge party, huge feast uh, with Jesus as this honored guest. It seems as if he wanted to honor his uh, new master. He wanted to honor uh, Jesus in this way by throwing this great party. Um, but also he is demonstrating that he is honoring um, this his new master before his friends, the tax collectors and others who were there. He's saying, I'm no longer a tax collector. I'm in allegiance to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is putting it on display so people see who he is following now. He's not keeping, um, he, he's not exalting someone else, but is following Jesus wholeheartedly. Uh, but then he opens up his, his home. He opens up uh, his his resources to serve others that he might introduce them to Jesus, that they might spend together time together and that they might be impacted by, uh, by the words and work of Jesus. And this is a great model for us as believers, because this is exactly what we ought to be doing. When we encounter Jesus, we are changed, we're transformed. We want to honor him with all that we have, all that he's entrusted us with. We want others to be aware of that allegiance that we have. We want other people to meet Jesus. And so we want to make a space, we want to make a, a place where we can have Jesus present and people who don't know Jesus present, so that way they can meet Jesus. We want people to run into Jesus wherever we go. And so we're, Levi here does what he knows to do to hold a space where they can eat a meal together, where they can spend time together over food, um, where they can uh, have fellowship together and where people can meet Jesus. And this is exactly what happens. Uh, we find here it described as, the tax collectors, a large company of them, like he got all of them, all, this is just a couple people. He threw a rager. This is a huge party, tons of people. Like he was probably like, I got all the tax collectors. We're throwing a massive bash. Uh, and others, who knows who these others are, but clearly they're described later uh, by the religious leaders as being not very savory characters. Uh, but tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So what's this idea of like reclining at table? Uh, well, this speaks to the contextual um, uh, situation there of this ancient time where uh, there would be tables that were low to the ground and would be seated uh, and you would kind of be uh, leaning on your side um, and you would be... Uh, they're all kind of like laying on on one arm propping you up and you would be you know eating with your your other arm and you essentially would kind of be uh laying into someone else and using them as a bit of a prop as well uh, and so you're kind of reclining there uh kicking back uh, but it, it provided a, a sense of uh a formation for you to eat but it also was a very intimate process because you were in close communication. You were in a close physical proximity and you were literally touching other people. 
you're laying uh, on other people. And this is uh, kind of this, this, a similar situation takes place here uh, at the Last Supper. But here we find a, a bit of foreshadowing where Jesus instead reclines at table with sinners, with tax collectors, with those who were outsiders. Levi uses his home to bring Jesus into proximity with outsiders so that they might be physically near to them, that they might have conversation. Now, the table is a place that Jesus uses throughout his entire ministry. It's a place where he has many spiritual conversations. It's a place where fellowship occurs, where, where you have great conversation around particular topics, where you get to know people. You go out to dinner, you spend time together, having a meal together, eating together. This is something that, that uh, Jesus uses throughout his ministry. And most of you uh, have been with us for a good amount of time, and you've seen that this is something that we try to model within our church, you know, and uh, something that I'm um, desperately looking forward to, like when we're done with the quarantine, just having some meals where we can eat together, where we can rejoice together, where we can feast together. But, but these are ways in which we have gotten to know one another, where we spent time cooking together, when we spent time uh, hanging out together around the table, where we have food and fellowship. These are the things that open up those opportunities. And uh, this is an opportunity for us as God's people. You might say, well, you know, I don't have many resources. I don't have much time. But the reality is, is everybody's got to eat. And everybody can spend time together eating. And so maybe one of the more practical ways that as people of God, that we can serve and love other people, that we can open doors for the gospel is to grab a meal with somebody else. You know, I, I wonder if the Lord would, would lead you into that in a new season as we uh, come out of the period of quarantine and things open up, if we could, uh, if the Lord would lead you to be intentional as God's people to get together with, you know, a couple people and to uh, fellowship around uh, food and to introduce people to Jesus, to be present with people and invite them uh, to be in the same space as Jesus. It seems as if, uh, as that's what Levi was doing here. It seems that this is what Jesus takes up throughout his entire ministry. Um, and it's a practical way to where you can uh, meet people's needs, that you can nourish them, that you can show hospitality, that you can show the kindness of God uh, by simply providing uh, a meal. I have many more thoughts on, on eating with Jesus and something that you know, I've been praying into for over a year. We'll roll out some ideas about that in the future. Um, and I want to circle back on that for sure. But um, I think that the Lord wants to accomplish much through meals together. Uh, and we find here that this is what Levi is using to introduce his friends to Jesus. But there are people who don't like it. There are people who don't like uh, the fact that these people are gathering together. Look at verse 30. In the Pharisees, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the issue here is not that there's a big party. The issue is not that there's a great feast. 
The issue is who is invited? Who's invited to this is the problem. Now, they have an issue, one, because they're describing these people as, as tax collectors and sinners. But more so because these people were social outcasts. Being with uh, Levi, Jesus being with Levi and the disciples being with, with Levi was absolutely more offensive to the scribes and the Pharisees than Jesus being with the leper. Because the leper's condition was something that kind of happened to him. Whereas Levi decided to be a tax collector. He bid to be a tax collector. He wanted to be uh, one who was charging the most so that way he could be in the best standing with Rome. He is forsaking uh, the ethnic Jews that he was a part of. And so they were like, this guy is on the absolute worst. He's a social outcast of society. And the Pharisees had a particular thought. They had a particular uh, teaching about tax collectors um, and, and the sinners that they would be describing here. Uh, they taught that if one of these people, a tax collector, was if they genuinely and truly repented, they must expect to die immediately. And that death would be evidence of their repentance because it would be impossible for them to not turn back to evil. Like this was the thought, the teaching about tax collectors. If you really did repent, you would die immediately and that would be show that you really did repent. This was the teaching that they were giving. This is how much that they thought these people uh, were corrupt and unwilling uh, to, or unable to change. And in a sense, uh, these are the things that are true of all people. We are unable to change apart from Jesus. We need his healing touch. We, the leper needs the cleansing touch of Jesus. The paralytic needs the healing touch of Jesus. He needs to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Apart from Jesus, that doesn't happen. But Jesus wants, uh, wants to spend time with these people so that they can come to know him. Jesus is not interested in putting these people to death, but rather dying for them so that they might be clean, that they might be made new. And Levi puts this group of people, the tax collectors and sinners, he puts them in touch with Jesus. So this can be accomplished. There are many people who would not have the opportunity to be in contact with uh, a religious teacher like Jesus. But as Jesus has sought out Levi, so now Levi has sought out his friends. Those who would never have that same opportunity, and he has invited them to come near. And so as Jesus spends time with this group of people, as they have this table fellowship, this is exactly what the, the, the Pharisees uh, and the scribes have a problem with. Like their problem is not um, just that they have contact with them, but that they are spending time together, that they are at the same table, that they are having this fellowship together. But again, Jesus wants to have presence with people. He's in the business of inviting outsiders to become insiders. And for the Pharisees, they don't have a problem with that, but you've got to do it their specific way. And Jesus knows that even if you go through that specific way that the Pharisees are prescribing, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to legalism. 
It leads to behavior modification, not heart transformation. And so as believers, as Christians, we ought to be seeking to relate to those who are outside of the faith in a way that allows those people to meet Jesus. We want to give them an opportunity to meet Jesus. We want to find a way to be a connector, to help build bridges to people so that way they can encounter Jesus. And so this is what they are looking to accomplish. This is what Jesus uh, is doing here as he spends time with Levi and the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, hearing all of this uh, proclamation about this company that Jesus is keeping, then Jesus now responds uh, to the Pharisees, verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So I love what Jesus does here. He's entirely sensitive to the situation, and he speaks out things that are true while not making things overly confrontational with uh, the Pharisees. He allows uh, the truth to be stated while allowing some of the assumptions to remain intact. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would just be out there like, you know, throwing darts at some of these people that I was really frustrated at, right? And be like, you guys think you're like all righteous, but you're not really, and blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to call out the Pharisees. Jesus just lets it sit there without calling them out directly. And he lets the principle of his coming be uh, put into place so that way they can say, we agree with that. All the while not knowing that they are a people who he's speaking. And so uh, this is how he phrases it. <clears throat> those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus classifies sinners as those who are sick, and he seeks out those who sense that need. They have a need. They have a need, and they know that they are not right before God. And he makes the statement, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only sick people do. Now, the tax collectors would have been viewed by uh, the Pharisees as religiously, uh, ceremonial, ceremonially, ritually unclean because they worked for the Romans. Um, they, were, they were stealing from the Jewish people. There was all sorts of things. So they would have been easily classified as the sick, as sinners. They were unclean. They need a physician. But he classifies, Jesus now classifies the healthy as people who are righteous. So the Pharisees think about themselves as righteous and therefore healthy. And they're not prepared to be treated for a sickness they do not believe themselves to have. They think that they are righteous. Now, let's talk about that for a moment because there is an idea. Uh, that they are righteous, and in some sense, um, they are self-righteous, right? There's a righteousness that we want that is not from ourselves, but we want the righteousness of Christ. 
That's what we are getting at here. That's what Jesus is trying to say. The healthy need to have Christ's righteousness, not self-righteousness, not self-justification. Don't you think it's convenient that the the, uh, Pharisees are attached at the hip with the scribes, the legal lawyers who say, oh, here's how the law should be applied. Don't you think it's convenient that they're applying it specifically to the things that they already do and keep so that way they can continue to be declared as self-righteous? Oh, yeah, we're keeping the law. It's like, well, yeah, you're like having these legal lawyers uh, set it up in such a way to where you are constantly being seen as self-righteous. You're always keeping the law because you're always making the rules about what you're already doing. You're not understanding about the righteousness that comes from God. You're shaping it and manipulating it to be what you want. And here, uh, Jesus puts this call out, and he tells them that the sick, they need a physician. The Pharisees see themselves as righteous, but in fact, they're self-righteous. It's their own righteousness. But that righteousness, as the Apostle Paul tells us, is uh, described as being uh, tainted, as, as stained, as filthy rags before God. Our self-righteousness does not work. We need Christ's righteousness. And so Jesus tells them, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, another statement that they could agree with. The object of Jesus's mission is to call men and women to repentance. The object is to call men and women to repentance, to change, to reorient what you are doing from around self to around Savior, from your own desires to the desires and, and mission of Christ, to turn from your own pursuits and to, to, circ, um, to circle your entire life around Jesus. This is what he's called us to, to repentance. This is why he has come, not so that he can just make a pronouncement about some things and we can say, yeah, all those things are true. If those things are true, they call us to repent. They ask us to repent. They require us to repent. We've got to change. We've got to turn. We've got to follow him where he's going. And he says here that his mission is to call the uh, not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the righteous cannot repent. There's no way for the righteous to repent because they're already righteous. But sinners can repent. Sinners are called to repent. Now, when he says this, he's not endorsing the righteousness of the Pharisees. The point is not that the Pharisees are justified already, and so Jesus will leave them alone. The, the point is not uh, that they are good where they're at. The point is that they are not open to their need of a physician. So Jesus isn't going to spend time on them. You guys think you're healthy? So I'm not going to spend my wheels trying to like convince you. Pharisees, you have no, no deep sense of, of, of need or sin in your life. And so you're not going to benefit from the ministry of the physician. You're, you're not going to ask him to heal you, to touch you, because you don't think you're sick. But instead, Jesus goes to those who perceive their great need, 
who understand that they're in a dire situation, who understand that they are outsiders and social outcasts. He seeks to meet them. His mission is to call people to repentance, to transform a, a person's entire uh, way of thinking about life, about how they go through this life and how they relate to God. And these people, the, the Pharisees, they don't want to have that changed. But the sinners, the tax collectors, they're humble. They know that they need to rethink things. They know that there's a better way. And so uh, as they are open to that, the great physician is able to come near. He's able to come near and bring his healing touch. Isn't this what was just demonstrated in the previous two uh, narratives? We have a leper who is coming near. He knows he has a great need, and he yields to the great physician who brings his healing touch. We have a paralytic who knows he has a great need, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus forgives his sin and demonstrates his authority to forgive sin by bringing his healing touch to this man's life. These people were aware of their need. They came to Jesus in humility. But the Pharisees, they're not righteous. They need to be saved just as much as the tax collectors, but they're unwilling to admit it. They're unwilling to admit it. And so Jesus is willing to go to those who are willing to receive him, who are wanting to spend time with him. He wants to have his presence with people. Now, I want you to see here, he brings his touch to Levi's life. And Levi throws a great feast for him. But Jesus is not obligated to eat with them. He's not obligated to spend time with them. But he does it out of a motivation of great love for them. There's, no, there's nothing that says he has to be there. It's that he wants to be there. His love is for all. It, it goes beyond just simple duty. But it's compelled by uh, who he is. And so he's willing to, uh, to cross over all things for anybody who wants to meet him. There's no social class. There's no cultural barrier. There's no uh, like fake religiosity that Jesus is willing to be uh, hindered by. He's not going to be over influenced by the Pharisees or controlled by their opinions. He is going straight to meet these people where they're at. And he does this with his disciples in tow, because they will be sent out on mission. They will go and do this same thing after his death and resurrection. In Matthew 28, 19, he makes this same call to them. He tells them and, and sends them out with these particular words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So they have this commission, and that commission is passed down to us. So we are given the opportunity as God's people to join Jesus in his mission to help people meet him. And so we have the opportunity, the privilege to do this. It's our training ground, our time where we can figure out how to be faithful in this. We talked uh, practically about, about how to do this in some steps about having meals with Jesus. 
But there are a couple of things that I just want to point out for you that are true, that are true of all followers of Jesus. Okay, just a couple of things. First, those who follow Jesus have been sent on this same mission. Just as he commissioned the disciples, so he has also commissioned all followers. This is a charge not just to them, but to us. We want people to meet Jesus. So the mission that he gives to them is not optional. It's not extracurricular. It's not an elective. It's not something where you can be like, I'm just cool about being a follower of Jesus, but I don't really care if other people meet Jesus. That's not a thing. If you follow Jesus, we are joining him in his mission to meet Jesus, because this is the very nature of God. He is a missionary God who has sent his own son into the world to meet us, to bring us to him. And so because we are his people and he's a missionary God who sends his son to us, then we are a missionary people. We are on his mission. Okay, so we are sent on that mission, but then we are also led on that mission by Jesus because it's his church. He's, it's his commission that he's given to us. So it's his mission. We are following him and uh, we are going wherever he goes. The disciples are eating with Jesus. They are, Jesus called them into that situation. They are there. And so they probably don't want to be there with the tax collectors. They're probably like, we don't want to be seen with these people. It's a little bit awkward. There's all sorts of things that are all messed up about this. Like Jesus is like, I don't really care if you don't like these people. We're going to spend time with them. I don't care if this looks bad for you on the outside. We're going to spend time with them. As we are on this mission, as we are led into mission with Jesus, you're going to go some places that you don't want to go, that are uncomfortable, that like, I don't really feel great about this. But you're seeking out to find out if Jesus is going there, then I'm going there. If Jesus is going there, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So you should get used to the fact that things are not usually going to work out in your mind with comfort. Being uncomfortable is normal. This is normal for the life of a Christian. Just things feel off. That's just how it is. The disciples are probably looking around super stressed out this whole time. But Jesus is fine. And if Jesus is fine, then we can be fine. If he can't be corrupted and we're in him, then we're good. This is all about having our identity in him. We can't be wrapped up in what other people are thinking about if we did it right, about how if we followed all the directions, our goal is to be with Jesus each day and go where he's going. And sometimes he's going to spots that are easier for us to go. Sometimes he's going to spots that are more difficult for us to go to. But nonetheless, he leads us wherever he's going each day. And so his example here in our text, it teaches us that we need to be aware. We need to be understanding what he's doing, where he's going. That there are people he's going to call us to interact with that we might not understand, but we've just got to be listening. We've got to be willing to follow. So when he says, follow me, we can get up and join him wherever he goes. Now, number three, the mission requires more than just casual contact. So you can't just be like a flyby, like, hey, like, cool. I think like, like Jesus is working in my life with like this, like, 
certain person or this certain group of people. Uh, we, Jesus engages in the culture of this time. And so uh, he meets them where they're at. So as Christians, as much as the Lord leads us to, uh, we want to be students of the culture that we are trying to reach, right? So if you are trying to reach a more academic scientific community, then maybe you want to understand how to navigate that, to build bridges there. If you're trying to reach a more athletic community, then you're going to try to figure out how to build bridges there. Maybe that's not your natural situation. Maybe that's not the, the thing that you are, um, are, are naturally, um, it's a non-natural interest for you, but the Lord might be making opportunities for you by you becoming a little bit of a student of those particular cultures. I remember when we had first uh, moved up to Santa Rosa to go and plant our church there, we, we weren't like following very many of like the local sports teams but I just kind of began looking at things like scanning things all the time. So that way I would understand how to have a conversation. If there's a bunch of guys who are standing around and they're all, you know, like, oh yeah, we saw this game and we were talking about this. And, you know, did you see that play? It's like, okay, well, if I don't have no idea, like I'm not going to be able to have an entry into that conversation to build a little camaraderie there. And so I had to kind of be like, okay, like there's a bunch of other things I would rather do besides like, learn a little bit about a team I don't really care about at all. But putting in a little bit of work there buys you an opportunity. And even if you don't put in a little bit of work there, you can ask questions be like, hey, tell me about why this is important. Teach me some things about this. And those things give us opportunities to build bridges so that way we can um, begin to uh, find opportunities to minister the gospel. And so these are just a, kind of a couple quick practical ways that I think are, are helpful there. Uh, for us to be aware of how we can be faithful. So it, it, as much as you can, um, try to be students of whatever culture that you are trying to reach. Have a little bit of interest there. Learn a little bit, even if it's something that is not natural to you. Um, you want to meet people where they're at. As Paul says, he becomes all things to all people. In that same sense, we want to be a little bit of a, a cultural chameleon, not to fit in, but to earn the uh, hearing of, uh, earn the opportunity to, to share the gospel with, with our hearers. Um, and then finally, uh, uh, the thing I wanted to kind of end with here is, as I was like thinking about these things kind of practically, uh, just to remind us that what we're really doing in all of these things is what we're really doing is we're just trying to invite people to a meal with Jesus. It's not like this overly complicated thing. We don't have to be the convincers that he is the best. Like I'm sure that all, all Levi did was say, Hey, I'm going to throw a great feast. Hey, do you guys want to come out? Like I got this like new guy, Jesus, who I'm following now, just come hang out with him. Jesus is there. He's doing the work. He's drawing the people to himself. The Levi's not up there, like trying to convince everybody that Jesus is the greatest. He's just putting them in, in relationship consistently. He's inviting people to the meal. We want to invite people to the meal with Jesus. And the Pharisees are going to be upset. They're going to ask the question, who is worthy of coming to this meal with the right of being, of being with Jesus? Who is worthy? 
no one's worthy, but everybody's invited. Nobody's worthy to be there, but everybody's invited to the meal with Jesus. And, and, and when we remember that, it makes me grateful that I'm invited and that I've responded to that invitation. And that's all, at the simplest level, that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to invite people to a meal with Jesus, and we're going to let him sort it out. And then, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to rejoice around the table together and to fellowship and to enjoy Jesus at that feast. And so I'm looking forward to uh, just kind of some of the practical ways that we try to work some of these things out in, um, in the future as we come out of the pandemic and we see what the Lord might do in terms of putting us in connection with other people. Uh, but something you can, can be praying into and um, something I've been praying into for, for over a year. Um, so let's, let's pray and um, we'll respond in worship. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness. We're thankful that you have given us um, the opportunity to dine with you, the opportunity to be with you, the opportunity to be near to you, and that you are um, pursuing us. That um, when we were far from you, when we were uh, sinners dead in our trespasses, you came to us, you were sent to us, you took on um, the form of a man, and you humbled yourself. Um, even though uh, you had this great station of exaltation, Lord, you willingly came and identified with us and spoke um, in a language that we could understand and communicated who you were and related to us on our own terms so that way we could come into relationship with you, Lord. And, and as you have touched us, as you changed us, we want to then respond in kind and to. Um, to get up and to leave all things and to follow you, to reorient our lives around you. And we want other people to meet you. And so would you give us opportunities uh, to introduce people to you? I know right now we're locked down um, in quarantine and maybe there's ways that you're wanting to work and that other people can meet you even now. Uh, but we look forward to those other times where uh, we can be physically present with one another. Um, your spirit is not constrained in any way and you can work um, and overcome all things. And so, Lord, we yield to you and we ask that you would lead your church um, and we will follow where you go. And so direct us, Jesus. We're so thankful um, for your compassion um, that you always want to be present with people. And Lord, may you uh, make us that same way as well. We love you. Amen.